The transition that has taken place in the Colorado River Basin is astounding. The Colorado River Basin is in its 23rd year of a historic drought. This is where it starts. Water that falls in Colorado is not just Colorado's water. So if there's no water, there is no water. Snowpack was near to slightly below normal. And the compact that was signed 100 years ago is based on a climate that no longer exists. The Colorado River is the sixth longest in the United States. It runs over 1,400 miles through seven states and serves as a water source for millions of people across the American Southwest. But the river carries a lot less water than it once did, and its reservoirs are drying up. In episode one of our special series on this vital waterway, we gave an overview of its problems. Today, we'll go straight to the start of the river. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, essential news from the LA Times. It's Friday, January 13th, 2023. Today, we go to the snowpack of Rocky Mountain National Park, birthplace of the Colorado River. In our previous episode, we learned that the 1922 Colorado River Compact divided the river's water evenly between the upper basin states of Colorado, New Mexico, Utah, and Wyoming, and the lower basin states, Nevada, California, and Arizona. But the upper basin states are seeing much less snow, which could spell disaster for everyone else. My Times colleagues, water reporter Ian James and video journalist Albert Lee, they've traveled to the river's headwaters to understand what's happening. Ian, Albert, welcome to the Times. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. Ian, you've been to the source of where the Colorado River starts. How does it look like? Where is it? What's there? Well, the headwaters of the Colorado River in Colorado is beautiful. It's in Rocky Mountain National Park, spreads out across this alpine valley. There are mountains in the background, pine forests. And in the meadow, the river just winds through. It's not that wide there. And it takes in all the melting snow. It's pretty beautiful landscape. Of course, this is the main stem of the Colorado River. There also are other large tributaries join the Colorado. They include the Green, the Yampa, the Gunnison, the San Juan, and other rivers all along the way. Can the weather get crazy up there? It was pretty interesting. Um, as a snowboarder, to be going there in the middle of spring to see that much snow I was beginning to see like, yeah, this is how this much snow melts to provide that much water. Just the scale of it was so immense to me. And we're driving through the Berthoud Pass at around 11,000 foot elevation. It feels like a balmy 70 degrees as we drive up into the divide. We're just seeing all kinds of snow drifts, hail, wow. freezing weather. So it just showed me how alive the mountain was. It's kind of astounding. You spent some time up there with Colorado scientists who survey the snow in the upper basin for the federal government. What are they doing over there? They're forecasting how much water the Rockies will spill down into the lower states. So we're headed right for that endpoint there. Brian DeMoncos is a hydrologist for the USDA. That's the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And what they're doing is they're literally just measuring the snowfall. 
So we actually snowshoed into a snow survey site about 11,000 feet up. And it was this old school process that was 80 years old. Right now, what's gonna happen is take the tube set, put it into the snow. It's the actual depth of core. We wanna make sure that we're getting the entire snowpack. So he wants to make sure that we go all the way down to the ground. Every few yards, actually, they would measure these sites. 20, 25.8, it's kinda low. Usually this time of year, it should be in the 30s, but I think with the shallow snow, the density winds up just being lower because you don't have so much snow compacting itself. These were a few of 250 sites he would survey throughout the season. On an average year, between 50 and 80% of the water that we use in the Western US comes from mountain snowmelt. Now, exactly how much it will be in any given year, that varies. These recent winter storms in the West have been pretty heavy and they've added more snow to the snowpack from California to Colorado. But what did the team tell you about last year's snowfall? In a few different spots, it was measuring 28 to 30 inches. And what that equated to was pretty much close to average snowfall. But what Brian was saying was that just because we have close to normal snowfall does not mean that we're going to have close to normal runoff or close to normal snowmelt that would actually make it into the water system. Unfortunately, it's not where we needed it to be in order to make up for some of the deficits that we've seen, you know, over the last decade plus, you know, we, we are certainly in a drought and to overcome that drought, we are going to need snowpack and precipitation to be above to well above normal on a regular basis, not just one year. Well, the watershed has gotten a lot warmer and it's gotten a lot drier. Even when we get a near average snowpack year, it's often translating into a below average amount of runoff. And it's partly because the average temperatures have risen about three degrees since 1970 with climate change. Areas where rivers get their start, those highest elevations are particularly sensitive to a warming climate. I spoke with Becky Bollinger. She's the assistant state climatologist with the Colorado Climate Center. So we still get snow, which is great, and it still gets cold. But what we're seeing is that it's just harder for that snow to go as far as it used to. With higher temperatures, it's making the snow melt earlier in the spring. And higher temperatures are also drying out the landscape. The soils are drier. So as the snowpack starts to fall and the ground freezes, you are now locking into place those dry soils. And once the soils thaw... That first runoff soaks into the parched soil like a sponge. And so that's the first bucket needs to be filled. So when the snowpack starts to melt, instead of running off, it's going to fill that bucket. All this leads to less water flowing in the river. After the break, the livelihoods affected by a lowering river and what one rancher is doing about it. So Albert, last year you visited some of the folks who live right below the snowpack. How are the changes in climate conditions affecting them? We met a number of ranchers and retired cattle ranchers. These are people that lived off a high flowing river. And as demand has increased on the Colorado River, they've seen water levels drop. So what's happening is their pumps that were formerly able to pump water to their fields are not able to pump water. 
I'll drive you guys over. The river is just right there, but th this is an old channel of the Colorado River right here. We met Doug Bruchet, who is a fifth generation cattle rancher. He took us out to see the newborn spring baby calves. Uh, we started calving on the 15th of March. So if they're tagged, they're older. If they're not tagged, that means that they were born either last night or this morning. It was amazing. It was literally seeing the calves frolicking and jumping around, jockeying for position to get their feed, get the new hay. We were out there in what was supposed to be the middle of muddy season. This is when the water from the river would overflow into their fields and we would normally be walking through mud. But because of low water levels, we were literally walking through hard ground. Ranchers in that area have explained that they saw flooding in the 1980s where the floodwaters just spread out across the valley and covered the whole area. And even some of the cows would be marooned on like little islands in the middle of all that water. But starting in the early 2000s, they saw the water drop so low that then they had to start readjusting their pumps. It was astounding. Doug Bruchet was talking about at the peak, the Colorado River flowed at 6,000 cubic feet per second. I think that's something like 6,000 basketballs of water, if you were to think about that as volume. <laughs> basketballs, wow. Flowing down the river per second. And now they were talking about measuring flows of 150 cubic feet per second. What a difference, 6,000 cubic feet per second to 150 cubic feet per second. It's creating this ecological problem on top of making their lives harder just to cattle ranch, just to irrigate their hay fields, just to kind of maintain their way of living. We've cut our cattle numbers. We were running 600 head of cows in 2016. And every year we have been dropping our cattle numbers by 25 head. Now they're having to raise the water level of the river. They're trying to work with engineers to truck in boulders literally into the river to change the shape of the river. And so what we are doing with this river restoration project in this section that you're seeing is we are narrowing the low flow channel. We are not messing with the floodplain whatsoever, but we're pinching the very low flow channel. And when you pinch it, what that does is it speeds it up and it makes it deeper. So this project is reinforcing our meadows to where we're raising the water table to where our meadows can be healthier. We have been actively involved with Colorado River issues and we need to bring awareness to people about where their water comes from, how their water gets used, and the solutions need to be more comprehensive than just taking water from somebody and giving it to somebody else. After the break, how a faster snowmelt is changing the plants and wildlife at the river's headwaters. We've talked a lot about the changes that the ranchers are seeing on the river and heard from them as well. What about other people that the two of you talked to? What were their concerns about what's going on with the Colorado River? Some people in the area have been noticing the environment in the headwaters changing rapidly as it's gotten warmer. There have been large wildfires. The flows in the streams have shrunk. See over here how shallow it's getting. There's a marina up there, and the weeds are all around that marina, around the people's houses, their docks. 
Ken Fusick, who is a retired environmental scientist who was literally seeing his childhood playground change before his eyes. It used to be the birds swam out here. Now they walk on the water, so to speak. Native fish were being decimated with invasive fish species. What was a summer playground that he used to go to as a kid was turning into what he described as a smelly algae bloom mess. And as a result, it's having massive effects on our whole uh, watershed environment. And on these lakes, we're seeing significant water quality problems. Along with water quality problems, some residents in the area are concerned about the amount of water that's taken from the river and sent to Denver and other cities. Water is transported in tunnels that go through the mountains, and those diversions affect the amount that remains in the river and flows downstream. Nobody's going to win in this battle. Unfortunately, the Front Range thinks they're going to be the winners on it. The Front Range, of course, is the area east of the Rockies that's home to Colorado's biggest cities and most of the state's population. And they keep acting like winners, but, but in truth, there's too much impact occurring for it to be fixed. The best we can do is try to stop the degradation that's occurring. And so we heard concerns from some people that where is the water going to come from in the future as the river has less water to give, but the demands remain? The upper basin is where the river starts. So do people who live there get first dibs on the water? Well, the states in the upper basin don't exactly get first dibs. The water they're entitled to is spelled out in the 1922 agreement. And this also requires them to deliver an average of 7.5 million acre-feet per year to the lower basin states. And the upper basin states haven't grown their water use on the scale that California and the other lower states have. For one thing, in California, we have the Imperial Valley, which uses the single largest share of the river, and it has some of the most senior water rights dating back more than a century. Ian, have the upper basin states, Colorado, New Mexico, Utah, Wyoming, have they been asked to cut their water use? Yes, the federal government has been asking all seven states, both upper basin and lower basin, to find ways to dramatically cut water use to deal with the shortage. The upper basin states have talked about a willingness to save water and to do more. And they've indicated that the lower basin states, California, Arizona, Nevada, that are using their full entitlements, that those states really should bear the lion's share of the reductions. But there's been some push and pull between the lower basin and the upper basin. The politics are getting complicated between the states, the federal government, tribes, and all the different users. Sometimes it feels like, that's mine. No, it's mine. Well, I was here first. And a lot of our laws are based on that, right? Becky Bollinger, the climatologist we heard from earlier, says the difficult negotiations on using less water get into thorny water rights issues, but she hopes all the parties will be able to reach a compromise. Regardless of where you're located on the river, you know, if you're upstream or downstream, upper basin or lower basin, or if you got there first, Californians were there first, you know, Las Vegas was there last, but we're all here now and we're all part of the basin. It's not clear what may come out of this in terms of some type of an agreement to reduce water use. It sounds like the negotiations have been difficult and they aren't producing an agreement yet. So is, how do you know you had a good compromise and that's that everybody walks away from the table unhappy? She explained this idea of the water savings account, that 
we've had this savings account, but it's been overdrawn for a long time. And now that overdraft has increased and gotten that much worse. And so we're headed towards bankruptcy if something doesn't change. Ian, Albert, thank you so much for this conversation and for your work. Thank you, Gustavo. Thank you. We'll be featuring episodes of our series, Crisis on the Colorado River, on Fridays for the next couple of weeks. On our next episode, we travel to the Utah-Arizona border to see what exactly happens when you dam a draining river. That's it for this episode of The Times, essential news from the LA Times. Kasha Brasalian and Denise Guerra were the jefas on this episode. Mike Heflin mixed and mastered it. Hasmin Aguilera and Hiba Urbani edited it. Our show is produced by Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, David Toledo, and Ashley Brown. Our editorial assistants are Roberto Reyes and Nicholas Perez. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Heflin. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera, Hiba Urbani, and Shawnee Hilton. And our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back Monday with all the news in this month. Gracias. Gracias.